please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Holy God, help us as we read these scriptures together. Bring your understanding and reveal your truth. May be challenged, transformed, renewed. May we focus on holy word as we read. Our scripture today comes from Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. Hear these words. Place these words I'm speaking on your heart and in your very being. Tie them on your hand as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Teach them to your children by talking about them when you are sitting around, the, around your house and when you are out and about, when you are lying down and when you are getting up. Write them on your house's door frames and on your city gates. Do all of that so, you, so your days and your children's days on the fertile land and the Lord's war to give all to your ancestors are many indeed, as many as the numbers of your days that are the sky above the earth. The word for God, for the people of God. We're going to begin a five-week series on focusing on uh, the faith family, kind of five different focuses for us. And during each of those weeks, we'll have children and youth uh, lead us in Scripture and lead us in worship in that regard. So I look forward to that with you. So, fandom is a real thing, right? There are people who are passionate about their sort of cult following. Now this picture is hilarious. And uh, if you aren't laughing, I know why you aren't laughing, and it's okay. And if you are laughing, you are in good company. And so it's okay. The title for this slide is How to Offend Four Separate Groups of Nerds in One Picture. And I'm not going to tell you why it's funny. You've got to do your own homework on that. Because uh, if I explain it, it's just not as good. But uh, remember, just use the force, Harry. So. Star Trek, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Doctor Who, Buffy, they all have their rabid fans, they're loyal, and I find it interesting how loyal people are to a particular universe, DC or Marvel, how loyal they are to a team, right? The Texans, the Rangers, the Astros, A&M, UT, SFA, Notre Dame, Michigan, IU, Penn State, the Ohio State University, Roll Tide, you name it, people are loyal, rabidly, so to their fan base. And I get it. I get it. You're supposed to raise your children up in the way that leads to eternal life. So of course, right, you... <laughs> you do everything you can, right? You, you sort of buy the onesie, you take the kids to the games, you, you watch the movies, you read the books, you do it all. Because we raise our children intentionally. The thing is, we, we uh, immerse our children in things that we love. But when it comes to religion, when it comes to, to Christianity maybe, we have deep fears and trepidations and hesitation on what we are doing, how we're doing it, and why we're doing it. I can tell you I have a number of friends who know the Star Wars universe like the back of their hand, right? The people who know the Harry Potter universe like the back of their hand, they know the timeline, they know parents, they can draw whole diagrams. But these people who've been raised up in the church, and I'll say, could you maybe list some books in the Old Testament? 
It'll say, Genesis is in there, right? Yes, yes it is, yes it is, it's good, good, right? So we, uh, we immerse our children in fandom, but yet when it comes to immersing them in Christianity, sometimes we hold back, don't we? It's, uh, it's a challenge for us, both as, as parents and grandparents and as a, as a congregation, as a faith community. One more, there we go. So this is the, the first uh, series, uh, first sermon in a new series focusing on the faith. And it's gonna have kind of two dimensions. We're gonna talk about what does it mean to focus on faith at home and in your family as you define that. And then we're also gonna talk about what does it mean to focus on faith here in this, in this congregation and in this community. To give you a little bit, of, oh, sorry, go back one more. It was my, my fault. To give you a little bit of lay of the land, uh, we'll be kind of looking at this for five weeks. The first is about teaching children intentionally. The second is about kind of knowing them personally, uh, praying for them, challenging ourselves continually so that we keep growing, so we have things to offer. And then also we're going to close with what does it look like to care for children practically. So you may be more familiar with this passage as it shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 6 which is called the Shema in the Hebrew Bible. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And this is the passage that Jesus quotes. And then this little bit comes right after the end of that. It says, Teach them to your children. This is, teach the, the tenets of God, the, the story of God. Teach it to your children by talking about it when you are sitting around your houses and when you are out and about, when you're lying down and when you're getting up. You'll notice how it's sort of laid out that we're supposed to sort of teach our children about God's faithfulness, that we do it when you sit down or when you lay down at night and you're going to um, fall asleep. It's a good opportunity to teach them. When you are sitting down around the table, when you get up, it's a metaphor, right? For, for teach your children about God and God's faithfulness all the time. It's not just regulated to Sunday morning. It's not regulated to high holy days. It's, it's an ongoing pattern of life in the family. Teach children about God. Last week we heard from Pastor Peter sharing the vision of Chapel Wood United Methodist Church. We have a, a vision to raise a generation in faith. And oddly enough, this seems to be Israel's vision as well. It's central to their calling. Now we should remember that Israel are a chosen people that, that God has covenanted with them and they've covenanted with God. And Israel's challenge is to be faithful to the God who loves them. And it is the elders of that community. It is the, the parents, the grandparents, the great-grandparents whose duty, whose obligation, whose urging it is to teach the faith to the younger generation, to raise a generation. Because if you're older, right, you've been around a little bit longer than those who are younger. You've had a chance to see how faithful God can be in the midst of challenging circumstances. And it is our job to raise a generation in faith, to tell the story of God's faithfulness. This is incredibly important. I think the temptation, or one of them at least, is to think that the next generation is just going to absorb it by osmosis, right? That's the temptation. Now, they just come to church long enough, they come to that service, they, come to the, they go to youth group, eventually they'll just, they'll just get it, 
right? Like, they'll just rub off on them. It's got to it's gotta happen sooner or later, but it just doesn't work that way. I'll give you an example, right? You all have been around me now for uh, a good amount of time, a few months, and I spent some more time uh, with some of you than others, but none of you have converted to the cult's faithful. And I'm deeply sad at that. Uh, apparently, rubbing off by osmosis doesn't work that way, right? I was born and raised in Indiana. I went to lots of Colts games, but none of you have converted. I don't, I don't understand. So I should probably take some of you up to Indianapolis. I should maybe be more intentional about my converting you to the Colts faithful, make you watch some games, talk to you about the lineup, talk about the plays and the brilliance of how Peyton Manning used to run that and how it was different in his day, and just begin to talk about it more. But no, none of you are Colts faithful because rubbing off by osmosis doesn't work. Well, I believe it's true that more is caught than taught, it's irresponsible to assume someone will just become a Christian because they're around them. Israel's older generation is, is tasked with raising a younger generation in faith, with showing them and telling them how God has been faithful, how God brought them out of slavery, delivered them, and redeemed them. In the same way, we are called to raise a generation in faith here, and not just sort of by osmosis, hoping that they'll get it, but to be intentional and to be thorough. It should be our, our whole endeavor as a community of God. Perhaps the deep irony, right, or tragedy, or maybe the, I don't know, if you're like me, maybe the humor here, depending on your worldview, is that for most of us, uh, we sort of part this off to the clergy. <laughs> right? We sort of outsource are raising a generation, hoping that the clergy... I can't tell you. Y'all, I was in youth ministry for about 12 years, um, maybe a little bit longer. And the number of parents, I kid you not, who would show up at a youth event and just say, like, take them, please. Like, can you fix them? Uh, (laughs) You know, it was... And they're a little joking, and maybe they're a little not, right? Uh, But they viewed it somehow as I was the professional Christian... And it was my job to sort of uh, give them professional Christian values and raise them up as a Christian. So I understand those sort of sentiments, right? That they, they did. They wanted a caring, faithful adult in their child's life. And that's a value we hold here as well. And that is something that is needed in all of our lives, that we have caring, faithful people. But the ultimate responsibility of raising a child up in faith starts at home. It starts with us as parents, as grandparents, as caregivers, as aunts, uncles, people invested in our family. But we, the congregation, are not off the hook, right? And uh, hopefully in a few weeks, I've been talking with uh, DJ and Lily Kaufman to sit back there, and we're going to baptize that you agree to raise that child up. You agree to teach Sunday school. You agree to volunteer at, at MAD camp. You agree to help out during children's time. You agree to take a week of your vacation to go sweat in the summers of Texas at UM Army. And you agree, part of your baptism, our calling as a church is to raise a whole generation in faith. It's not just my kid, it's all of our kids. Because in baptism, God broadens what it means to be part of the family. And so I was sitting in the pews, we're not off the hook. We just say, I also take a part in what it means to raise a generation in faith. So why is this so hard? as a parent? Why is it so hard as a Sunday school teacher? Why is it so hard as a confirmation mentor? Maybe it's difficult because we ourselves 
are uncomfortable with our faith walk. Maybe it's difficult because, let me confess something for a moment, that the church maybe has failed you. Maybe we've failed to uh, equip you with what it means to be a Christian. We've uh, not kept up with the changing times. Our vocabulary is, is rusty and antiquated and old. It doesn't fit today's culture. We haven't done a good job of actually representing and teaching what we believe and why we believe it. I'll tell you a story about a, a girl who we'll call Julie. Um, We'll call her, that's her name. We'll call her Julie. And uh, we, were at, um, we were at this sort of restaurant establishment, and uh, we were sitting there um, having drinks and having some conversation. And she says, you know, I just don't get it, Josh. Uh, I don't understand why people would be a Christian, right? And then she sort of went on this litany of bullet points on, on what Christianity was all about. I mean, you've got to follow the rules, right? You can't drink, can't smoke, can't dance. There's none of that premarital stuff uh, she thought it was saying about the right prayers. You got to do the right things, say the right words. You got to go to church. Thought it was about not not cussing, taking communion, getting water put on you. That's what it's all about, right? And I almost hated to burst her bubble. And I stepped back and said, "Well, I don't, I don't think it's all about that, right? For me, Christianity is about a God who created everything, and this God who created everything." loves us so much, wants to be in relationship with us so much that God lowered God's self and took on skin and got in the game and said, I want to be a part of this human experiment. And in that perfect life of Jesus, God showed us another way to live. That's what it's about. In the perfect life of Jesus, Jesus said, you know what? Lust, greed, envy, power, those ultimately are bankrupt systems. They have no authority, and I show you a better way still. Faith, hope, and love. It's in the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection that I find meaning and newness and purpose, and God enters into our story to be a part of that. It doesn't end there. The Holy Spirit comes, and this is the crazy part. The Holy Spirit co-participates with us. It shapes our very being. It, it changes the words that I say. It changes the prayers that I do. It changes how I, how I parent, how I act. The Holy Spirit moves in me and guides my actions and thoughts and deeds. God is in the mix. wants to have a relationship with me and change who I am. She said, huh, <laughs> I thought it was about uh, the other stuff. And she was kind of floored because notice I didn't say anything about gay rights. I didn't say anything about vote conservative, vote liberal, vote libertarian. I didn't say anything like that. I didn't say you got to go to church this many times a day. You got to read your Bible. You got to pray for 14 minutes. If you don't, God is not interested. I didn't say anything like that. And she was floored. I said, when I read the Bible, that's what I see. A God who loves us, who wants to be involved in our lives and shape and form and mold us. And that's what it's about. <coughs> I kept going and telling her that there were really two main reasons why I believed all this stuff, right? First, I'm a Christian because I think it puts me in tune with reality. There's a God. And I think for me to ignore that is discordant with reality. 
And second, I'm a Christian because I think it's the best way to live my life. I can attest to God's faithfulness in my life, the way that the Holy Spirit has moved in others' lives and shaped and molded them, and that's something that I want to be a part of. You see, to, to teach children intentionally, we first need to know why we believe what we believe, and we need to know what we're teaching. Kids are always watching, always listening. We need to be intentional about the language we use to describe our faith experience. Second is we need to recognize that more is caught than taught. Apparently, some of it does rub, rub off by osmosis. But uh, it's kind of interesting, sort of uh, as a professional vocational pastor, I spend hours kind of crafting sermons and messages. I read the text. I read lots of resources. Uh, I can tell you right now, and I'm being 100% honest, I don't remember one lesson from my youth group days. And I went to youth group every week. I can't look back and say, yeah, I remember when Joel talked about that. I can't. I went to church my entire life. I can't really think of the three points in the sermon back when I was 12 years old. I, I don't have access to that. But, but does that mean I didn't learn anything? Absolutely not. Because they were intentional about crafting those messages, intentional about having a relationship with me. And some of it does rub off, rub off by osmosis. Some is caught and not taught. But we have to have the right words to teach so that it rubs off on our children. The third is we need to not be afraid to engage in our own faith. So my son, he is uh, four. It's very difficult to find activities for rambunctious four-year-olds, but we found gymnastics, and that's been great. And the first time he got up on the balance beam, he was like, what, what do I do? <laughs> do I walk down the balance beam, or do I jump off, right? The first time that I went up to swing when I was playing t-ball, I was like, do I hit the T? Right? It's awkward. Right? The first time you are in dance and you take first position, your feet feel funny. The first time you get down on the line in football, you're like, how low do I get? What do I do? Right? It is awkward. I'm here to say that as a, as a Christian community, as a faith family, we have to embrace the awkwardness around that. The first time I was sitting down with the youth and I realized they hadn't been baptized, I was like, oh, geez, I've never talked about this. I don't think I have the words to say. I don't know what to do. And so, guess what I did? I prayed to God, give me the words, and I winged it, <laughs> right? You have to be okay with those first few awkward steps because my son now who's been in gymnastics knows exactly what to do on the beam. He gets up there and he walks, right? Today, if I get up next to a T, I know exactly what to do because I've worked through the awkwardness, and it's okay. But we, as a faith family, cannot let our awkwardness get in the way of raising a generation in faith. And so if you don't know the words to say, I encourage you to get plugged in into a small group. If you don't know the words to say, you're not quite sure what to do, you can uh, talk with the pastor, you can start opening up your Bible and reading. You have to be formed yourself so that you can lead people and raise a generation in faith. So may we be not afraid to raise a generation of faith here at Chapelwood as we seek to teach children intentionally about what God has done, about God's faithfulness. And may we be a faith family that leads the little ones into the way everlasting. 
the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.